Get okay, mira, we're over here. I'm here in another great day here. Uh, speaking from sunny, uh, sunny Florida here. I'm here on the Que Lo Que podcast, your podcast for really for knowing. And, and we're here trying to shine a light uh, to all the great things that our people are doing for our community and with our community. I'm here with my fabulous co-star, uh, Venus. Venus, Que Lo Que. Que Lo Que, mi gente. Mira, I don't even know what to tell you, but I'm so excited about today. You know, Venus, one of the reasons why we created this podcast was to uplift the stories and the work of Dominicans who are doing some great work here in Florida. People who you might be thought of as working behind the scenes, but whose efforts are having a really great impact. And so one of those folks here in Miami is Darwin Rodriguez. Darwin is a public historian, arts educator, working at the Perez Museum, one of the most influential art museums in the city, and don't, some might even say the nation. Um, he's also made a part of his mission to not only make the museum more community friendly, but also trying to break down the walls that often separate Black and Latinx students in the art world. So Darwin, welcome to the program here. And Darwin, mira, que lo que it's great great to have you here Let, let's start you know darwin you know just a couple of years ago you were new to both teaching and to miami um you know tell us how you got here and and how you wound up at the perez museum cool um well first thanks for having me um i'm actually i'm at pam i'm at work and i just found a little quiet space so that's why it's so like hushed tones and lots of neutrals so <laughs> the visual identity is not me it's, it's <laughs> um we'll get into that but uh but about like my story and how i got here um i'm you know i was looking over the questions you sent over and it said you know new to miami but i'm not so new to miami i moved here at 19 um but I've been coming to Miami, like Hialeah was my Washington Heights with palm trees, like <laughs> growing up. Cause you know, I'm, I'm from the old hood, <laughs> but, um, but my grandma moved to Florida in like 1990, 1991, something like that. Because in her words, eh, es como Santo Domingo, pero en el futuro, like, you know, <laughs> Spanish speaking and, and people obeyed the rule of law for the most part, as far as she could tell. Um, so she moved down here and then I was spending, you know how a lot of kids spend their summer with their grandparents in DR? For yeah. me, that was Miami. Ah. My mom would just pawn me off. As soon as June 26th, I was on a plane <laughs> to Florida. And so, so like one thing I try to sort of give people like a, mem a memorial or like a memory, a marker of when I came here really, I, I was here for Hurricane Andrew in 1992. Because I was here on summer vacation. <laughs> so, um, so I've been spending summers in, in Hialeah specifically since I was like five, five or six. But then little by little, my family started moving down. So by the time I was in college, my entire mom's side of the family was here. And I'm closer to them. So I moved down at 19. I moved uh, in the middle of my undergrad career. I had gone to Oberlin. Um, cause that's where, when you go to a school like Fieldston, you're supposed to go to a school like Oberlin. <laughs> shout out, um, shout out. And, uh, halfway in, I transferred and I transferred here and I transferred to FIU where I finished my undergrad, where I worked. <laughs> um, and ultimately, um, my first job finishing FIU was teaching, um, I majored in international relations cause I'm into cultures, I'm into people, I'm into languages i'm into travel i mean it's sort of like my mom was like you were on a plane at 
two years old. Like I had a passport. <laughs> like that's what happens when you're transnational. Like you're always going between places. And, and I, I don't know, it sort of lent myself to, it sort of fit into what I did, like into what I was about. Um, and I had made friends with my, my sister's history teacher. Um, so I would go to her school and help them with research and help and really just help her in the classroom. And I became fast friends with her. And then she got me my job at my, at my, at my school and I talked there for seven years and I, uh, any questions? Am I talking too much? No, 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 no. I was, I was just thinking seven years. Wow. That's like seven years in teaching can be kind of compared to like seven years in dog years. Right. I mean like that, that can <laughs> seem a lot, you know, like, yeah, yeah. This is after year six. It's all just, <laughs> Uh, um, That's what but, happens uh, when you teach. Te cae pelo, te cae pelo. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, and it's, you know, I, it formed me as an educator, and it, but it did take a toll on me, I'll be honest. You know, I, I think I'm the first person to say that teachers are overworked, underpaid, they're under underappreciated, really, in our society. Um, and then the museum, this museum in particular, became like my haven, my safe space. I was at PAM opening weekend. Wow. You know, growing up in New York and also with the type of education I got in New York, like I still remember the first time I went to the Met, like that my history teacher was like, we're studying the Renaissance, go, go see the paintings and write an essay about them. So that's a, I think something unique that I got to see in New York. And, and, you know, for a lot of my classmates, that was let's walk two or three blocks to the Met because they lived on the Upper East Side. For me, it was take the one train, get on the cross town, <laughs> to spend a whole day going there and back. But, um, the museum had always been my the sort of refuge. Um, and then the, the, if you'd have told me five or six years ago that you'd, you're going to work here one day, I'm like, impossible. Like people like me don't work in these places. They wouldn't hire me. Um, and as I became more and more sort of like enmeshed in this museum, um, as it sort of started to occupy this space in Miami, in our cultural scene, um, you know, it became more concrete. So then I went back to school to get my master's to become a public historian. Um, I figured a master's in history would at the minimum make me a better history teacher. And at the, at the sort of the other side of that, I'm like, it could potentially lead to a career change or career pivot. Cause I was like, I don't want to be that bald old fat teacher screaming at kids, hating life what? in like another decade. <laughs> so. that's, what, that's what my children need in their life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my master's program at FIU also like big ups to the grad, the history grad department. But one of the requirements was you need to work in a museum, like go find a job. And I was like, how the heck do I do that? Like, how don't I even go about that? So I worked my connections. I had a friend of mine that worked for the city and he knew somebody that sat on an, like on a community board and I got an email and I just started working on it. Six months emailing this like, like, I will work for free. I will work for free. I will work for free. Um, and she's like, but we don't want to hire. Pam's thing is they don't want to hire unpaid interns because that's sort of one of the barriers to museum work. Like, who has the luxury of taking an unpaid job? People that have the financial support in place to do that. So the reason I got to sell it was because I was like, I'm fully employed. I have money. Don't worry about it. Like, I can pay my bills. And I need it for for my, I need it for, for class credit. So I worked at PAM for about like, for two semesters in the education department, felt it out, and then um, a position opened up and they hired me. So I'm one of the two full-time teaching artists here. Um, and most of the other people in my department are practicing artists, but I'm a practicing 
teacher, you know, I, I like, I like this learning environment better than, than the, the structure of like a classroom setting. Um, and we use different philosophies here, but yeah, no, I had a roundabout way into the museum. I've been here full time for about a year, a year and change now. And I'm trying to see what's, what a public historian can do in, in this space. So that's been my trajectory so far. And then, and I still teach part-time. I, I teach at FIU as an adjunct professor. So I still get that like classroom, you know, dynamic. Um, that's how I got here. Wow. So. And, I, I, and, and I think, you know, every time I've heard you speak about that, and um, I mean, you really bring, I think, a perspective that not a lot of people get to see. Um, and I, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of the, in terms of the world, um, that kind of is occupied there. I mean, look, talking about, I mean, this is the Dominican podcast. I'm curious in terms of, you know, there's a strong tradition of kind of appreciating the arts in, in Dominican and Caribbean culture. And, and, and I guess I'm wondering how does your Dominicanness kind of influence, you know, both your teaching and your approach to art, um, you know, both good and bad in some ways. Right. I mean, I get, gotcha. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was an interesting question. I was like, I never thought of it that way. I never framed my like what what sort of my like lightning in a bottle that that I that I bring to my craft. And I'm like, is it informed by being Dominican? Like for me, it was a real like chicken or the egg question. Yeah. So one thing I will say is that I'm animated. Like, you know, like wow. <laughs> like this no is the I usually have. I'm like I'm like we don't celebrate Christmas at my house. We celebrate Navidad. Like it's not. <laughs> Sit around a fire. But, you know, it's like dancing and music, and and um, you know, I'm I'm like I'm I'm still sort of struggling with this question because I'm like, what what really, what comes to that? I don't know if it's is it me that I'm naturally like a visual learner. I'm a visual person, but but you're right. You no, know, there is an inherent I think sort of like arts appreciation and visual aspect to our to our culture. Um, so one thing I think that works for me is that by virtue of being Caribbean and being Dominican is that people can instantly relate to me on that level. So especially a lot of my students, and most of my students are actually Cuban, but there's a lot of overlap in Caribbean culture. So they, they took that, I spoke Spanish to their parents. So, you know, I do think that like, by virtue of being able to code switch, of being able to exist in an American context and in a Caribbean and a Latin one, you know, and toggle between the two of them, that works to my advantage. Um, one thing that I do here in the museum and one thing that I did in the classroom before I even knew what it was is I employ what's called VTS or visual thinking strategy, <coughs> which is like teaching people how to look at things and how to analyze things when you look at them um, and figuring out what, what that means. Um, and I, I mean, I'm even like anecdotally, I remember being a kid and looking at the flag of DR and looking at El Escudo in the center and I'm like, what does all that shit mean? That's communicating a lot of important information and it's easily overlooked, but you're not gonna look you're not gonna do that unless you're gonna either drive yourself there or someone guides you to like pay attention to this and everything there is deliberate. You know, everything there is there for a reason and, and try to work for yourself, try to figure it out. Which is a lot of what I do um, here in the museum, right? It's it's it's. I'm not here to tell you what the art says. I'm not here to like to. And that was a mistake I made when I first came here because that's what you coming from the classroom. It's like you got to learn this, you got to learn that, and all of this is on the test, so you got to remember it. Here it was more like, all right, I'm here to help you and guide you, but but let's try and teach you how to do this on your own. Um, so yeah, like I, I think like. Um, another thing that I think informs that is 
being first generation, being Dominican outside of DR is in a, is a, is an exercise in belonging and not belonging in a lot of different yeah. situations. So like, I think between the three of us, we instantly have this like, you know, connection by virtue of, you know, our shared, our shared Dominicanness, right? But seldom am I in that space, right? I grew up in that space. I remember it. I remember what it was like growing up in the Heights. I feel it when I go back to the Heights or when I'm on the island. But a lot of times it's like being racially ambiguous, being, mm. being like, I heard this all the time growing up, like speaking well, right? And being educated and then toggling to Spanish, right? You're constantly navigating the space of like, how am I fitting in here and how are other people like having me fit in here, which is a lot of what the art at PAM deals with. Yes. So, I was say that, yeah. Yeah, a lot of our art is, is talking about like being transnational, being an immigrant, um, being part of the diaspora. Uh, so I, I, it's, it's like hand in glove for me here. So yeah, well, I, mean, you know, I, I have a question because I've, I've visited not only your museum, but many others. And mm-hmm. I know in the intro, we talk, they talked about how you're bringing more diversity community, mm-hmm. Black and, and Afro-Caribbean. And, and what, as a parent, because I'm, I'm a parent of three boys, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes you take them to museums and it, and it can get a little, like you said, teachery. Like they just want to, this is Darwin, this is this and this is that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Van Gogh, and he did this, cut off his ear. You learn it and you go. What have you tried to do to blend what you were talking about as in just getting them to see outside the box? Because I think that's always good in general, not just for art, but in life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how are you cultivating that now at the museum to get people to come in and have their mind exploded uh, with everything out there? Um, well, I can give you one example of a program that I facilitate here. It's called our um, PAM Teen Arts Council, or PTAC for short. Um, and it's basically a group of like 12, 13 teens that the museum hires. And for me, they function as like my homeroom. Like these are like my students still, right? I see them, I see them once a week. I don't give them homework, but our job is to bring other teens into the museum, other young people in the museum, because the average museum patron is usually a person of a certain age and of a certain income bracket, right? So it's like they're the complete opposite in many ways. Um, And it's going to be my second year facilitating it. And one thing that I noticed when I was interning here is that a lot of the teens had like, they were to me, and I'll be very blunt, they were very one note. They were all like from the art school and they were all like the same type of teen. And I was like, we need to change this up, right? Like Miami's a place that I think is, it exists on so many fault lines and so many binaries. And I'm like, there, there were no kids on the council, like, west of i-95 right like most of miami is a black and brown city most of miami is like on a pure numbers level like a working class or a poor city and and there's some real barriers to have those kids like come here and sit on that council and i was like this needs to be a better cross-section of the city so by virtue of like extending an invitation to these kids and and being like you work here you have a job here like i have a job here right? You have a say here that yields dividends like all over the County. Cause yeah. that kid that goes to, that goes to Edison or that goes to, 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 to Miami Jackson senior high, right? Like 
they're going to be an ambassador for this place there when that didn't exist. So it's a it's a very like ground level, and I'm fine with that. But it's when those kids see themselves here, then it makes it possible for for further teens to see themselves here. So, and yeah. sometimes, and it starts with me. Like, it, and and it starts with like there's a brown dude that's like there, like <laughs> telling you to come here. So yeah, um, it's a lot of it is really that it's, it's like existing. It's like taking up this space. Um, but specifically like with your boys, right? Like one thing that, that people do in the museum is they, they want to figure it out. They want to see the art and they want to instantly yeah. like, what? and sometimes it's okay to not figure it out. Sometimes it's okay to be left with questions. Like people are so like results driven and so, but I think that there's a there's a there's a virtue in just like asking yourselves questions about it and letting them sort of linger. Um, I don't know. I, I have to give it give it up to curatorial here because our our the art that's on display here, um, like I said, like lends itself to these types of discussions where kids will come interview for the teen program and say, I I saw this artwork and it was about African people and it was about. Caribbean people, and I'd never seen art like that before. And then yeah. that makes them want to come back. So, you know. And, and I think it's, yeah. it, it's so important to, to also look at that. Um, and like you said, still have questions because we live in a world where it almost seems like you're forced to always make it, you know, to, to, to almost set your identity and almost have it permanent, right? When we know that identity and thought um, is, is something that's always growing, right? And so it's interesting, mm -hmm. like, you know, finding a space where you're allowed to kind of breathe a little bit seems to sometimes be so hard in a 24-7, you know, like, media, you know, cycle where it's like, whether it's, whether it's on TV, your phone, your thing, like, everyone's always asking you about something. You almost have to always have, you know, a decision to make a decision. And, and I wonder whether or not something gets lost like that, you know? I think well, one thing I've noticed, especially on tours that I do, like I also give tours to school groups. So we serviced last year, 19,000 Miami-Dade County public school students. Um, and a lot of kids are like, what does this mean? And tell me. And, and, and I, you know, like sometimes hold back. I'm like, it's like every time a kid is like, what, what does this mean? I'm like, what do you think it means? And they, nine times out of 10, they have something to say. Like, I think a lot of students and kids especially here like they want to be heard so the museum provides that space but i totally agree it's everything is like now 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 and i tell them i'm like you need to slow down like chill out we have nothing but time to talk about the art right like i tell i tell them to savor the moment i'm like you're out of school like there's no test there's no worksheet there's no like like sit and and like and, and and ponder the artwork, and I'm gonna ask you questions to help you do that. But and then like so at first it's 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 trying to get them to sort of like buy into the the type of tour I'm gonna give them, and by the end they don't want to leave. So to me that's mission accomplished. So yeah, you know, Darwin, one of the things that I think is always interesting is that art is you know like you said art is is a kind of a, a playground where you see race and class like play a role right mm -hmm. um and so does as well as gender and sexual orientation um yeah. and so i just you know i want to i want to talk to you a little about like in terms of being in miami being a gay man in Miami, being a gay man of color like how mm -hmm. has that been um especially in terms of especially when it comes to like you're now working in a field of, of, of art and teaching where all those things are coming in play like they, they play together um they might play a little differently in miami than they do in in new york and other places so i mean and it's especially in the dr right when the mm -hmm. where there is um traditionally at least a, a, a lot of um 
backlash and violence, right, against the LGBT community. So I'm just, I'm just curious in terms of like, you know, that's a big sancocho of things going on, yeah. you know, like how, how is that, you know, and I know there's no different advantage, but how is that, you know, like, how has that, that been, especially in, in your work um, and, and the work you're trying to do? Um, yeah, uh, and thanks for asking, actually. I, I remember you would try to couch it where, like, if you don't want to talk about it, I'm totally happy to talk about, um, like, my identity and, and, and being a gay, a brown gay dude. Um, and <laughs> Which is different. Here, I think it's different. I think yeah. you and I talk, like, that's different. I think that's a different identity sometimes than in some other places, right? I will say this. My interactions, like, I still have never been in a place that's, like, exclusively gay and Dominican. I have met other gay Dominicans, but, like, they're few and far between. Like, I have been in places that are, like, Latino and gay, but they're usually mixed and people from different islands and different countries. Um, but I've, I've yet to meet, like, an exclusively just, like, Dominican gay, like, group of people or, like, space I'm sure one exists, but I've never really yeah. interacted with one. I'd say that for here, like I, I'd say that the um, my my biggest interactions with being like Latino or Lat or Latinx or whatever we're calling it nowadays um, <laughs> is uh, is usually from like a, a like a demographically more dominant group represented in Florida, so or in Miami specifically. So it's usually like Cuban or people that are South American. Um, <laughs> that like, I think that sort of like, they've sort of, I think sort of set the tone for what that identity looks like or behaves like in a certain way. Um, and I've literally sort of been taken aback because I mean, I, 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 I mentioned this, like I, my place of lending here was Hialeah. It's a working class Cuban neighborhood. And even though it's very socially conservative and even though it's very, it's Trump, um, uh, there was a sort of like, tacit acceptance of homosexuality. I found it so odd. I found it so, so strange, at least from my perspective, right? As a, as a, as a, as a man that was employed and, and lived and worked there, I never once felt like unsafe or discriminated against. So like on a very, like, if you think of like a Maslow's hierarchy, like yeah. bottom one, never had an issue with that. Like gainfully employed, never felt like I was in any sort of imminent danger by virtue of, of being gay. Um, but I will say this is that being a teacher in Hialeah as an openly gay man, like I still get messages from students telling me that like you were the first person I ever saw that was gay and Hispanic and like, and just normalized it. That, that my existence was just something that they was uh, was like a caricature at their house or was something that was distant or far away. So it's um, it really is sort of like a humbling when a student is like, you were the first gay person that I saw like, that wasn't like a, a, a statistic or a tragedy or in the ways that like homosexuality is sometimes framed in the Latino community, um, which is like, again, like humbling, but also funny to me because I'm like, I am no paragon. <laughs> 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 I'm just trying to <laughs> rub two quarters into a dollar. <laughs> um, but I think it goes to show you, I think it goes to show you sometimes that we sometimes don't realize just by taking up space, how much of an impact we can have. Right. And yeah. I think that yeah. that's sometimes just sometimes, you know, I think, and just being affirmative in who we are and standing, you know, how we are, um, it has an impact, right? Because I think sometimes people don't necessarily see that and, and you never know who's watching, right? Especially when you're working, I think, I think you can, you know, 
you know, say this, especially when working with kids, that you never know how they're watching or what they're remembering, right? Or what they'll think about years later. Um, and how perceptive they are. Yeah. How incredibly yeah. perceptive they Very are. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, before we, you get into the more serious matters, I just want to kind of end up this, this part of the discussion talks about in terms of students. So, you, you know, you run, you deal and interact with a lot of, um, you know, high school students and college students. I mean, what would you say, you know, what's the pulse? What are folks grappling with, especially in a place like Miami, where mm. you have race, class, you know, everything kind of going through and bodying around, you know, what, what would you say are, are the things that, that, that folks are really grappling with that, especially us as, um, you know, I want to say as adults, as public servants, as people who are trying to look to do things for the better, like, you know, what, <coughs> what can we say is on the pulse of, of, of what they're thinking about? That's a very good question and something that I that I grapple with, I think, on the daily, especially like both in and out of like formal learning environments. So like my FIU students are constantly like, I never knew that American history was actually like this. It's like, oh, my God, how they treated the slaves. And, and I'm just like, you know, like it's almost like I'm on two sides of this, like this uh, sort of sea change in the way that we teach history because um, I taught it at the public school level. And there I identified, I'm like, what I'm supposed to teach is, is, is coming up real short with, I think, the magnitude of, of what we're talking about here. Um, so I'm going to, like, I just to, I'm just going to read off some notes that I put yeah. down. Like, things that I think everyone is grappling with now is, like, is, is blackness. Um, and what that means and who defines it and who belongs. Um, I'd also say whiteness in Miami. Um, I think that the, the racial binary in Miami is, is a sort of microcosm um, for, because it intersects with both the Latin American perception of race and the Anglo-American perception of race. Um, I'm going to say colonialism and what it, what, it, what it reproduces and what it has reproduced um, and capitalism sort of like how did we get to where we are and how are those those other things sort of linked to it um because I, those are the aha moments that a lot of my students in in college are having and a lot of the um sort of moments aha moments i was trying to sort of like get my students to when i still taught high school but here at the museum it's like the currency we deal in like almost every artwork we're talking that's on display is is talking of is yeah is sort of interfacing with these with these things um so I, I and i and i think that being dominican is sort of like at the crucible of a lot of these things um and and sort of not fitting into the racial binary that is america and then and how do we racialize our own identity and then and then trying to sort of extricate that from the more problematic aspects of that right like um I was fortunate enough to go to Germany a couple years ago and I was still teaching high school and I, and I got to see how that country reckons with its, with its history. They even have a word for that shit. It's called Vergangenheitsbewältigung. It's like anxiety about the past. And That's I think Americans <laughs> and Dominicans, sim like, I think we yeah. share this sort of like, we have this, this very halcyon, this very sort of like, like we pick and choose the history that we want to prioritize. Um, and I think that there's a way to talk honestly about your history, to so still be proud of where you're from, but also just be like, this is what it is. This is how it happened. And, and we're never going to get past it unless we talk about it. So I think in the American context, that's, that's specifically the dealing with, 
with the legacy of slavery and, and the treatment of African-Americans. And in the Dominican context, it's, it's the formation of Dominican identity as a, as a, as a weapon against Haiti and, 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 and yeah. blackness. So yeah. to me, like they're linked and they're similar, um, but I think that you can, you can still, like talking critically about your past doesn't necessarily mean you, you, you're self-loathing or that you're not a patriot or that you, like, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, is what I'm trying to say. So, Are you sure? Because I have, sometimes I have a problem. <laughs> well, and, 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 well and, and sometimes some people do, right? I mean, that, that's the thing. But I, but I, I agree. Look, I, I totally agree, Darwin. I think that's, that's the one thing that's always seemed to me um, very evident that, that sometimes in figuring out our own Dominicanness, we are a microcosm. And that's why in some ways I always push as Dominicans for us to help lead the conversation, right? I think mm-hmm. we are in a, in a particular, um, you know, I, I, someone might say beneficial, someone would say that there's a responsibility for us to lead the conversation because we know it internally, right? I mean, and, and how we um, not just um, define uplift blackness, but also make it deeper, right? Because I think that yeah. there are notions... Um, in America and in the U.S., especially amongst my African-American friends that like define blackness as a synonym for the African-American experience, right? Which is a different when it comes to Latin America and even the world and globally and those things. So is there space, right? Um, especially in a place like Florida where history has so often been erased, right? Even the contributions of like Bohemians and West Indians, even here in terms of here. Like, so when you're in, you're in a, an atmosphere where erasure is so prevalent, now, how do we push back against that, right? And, and so it's like, it's, it's multiple erasures and they're coming right. from many sides, right? right? Because like you mentioned, right? A, a common narrative about Miami, especially from, I'd say like a lot of people in the Cuban community is that they built Miami. And I'm like, that's, that's, that's really flattening Miami's history because of, like you said, like the contributions of, of Bahamians and, and, and African-Americans and other people that were here. So, you know, like, no one likes to be erased, right? But like you mentioned, right, like, we, I think as a Dominican in Miami, as being like a minority within a minority, is that we, we get erased out of being Latino because, because, of, because I think other Latinos construct us as Black which for a lot of Dominicans is triggering. It's like, I'm not Haitian, right? It's because blackness is coterminous with being Haitian, right? And then amongst, I think, African-American populations, like I've been in situations where I've been told that I am not black. So it's like, you know, <laughs> if I'm not this and I'm not that. So so really at this point, I'm, I'm, I just find for myself, you can call me whatever. I mean, at the airport, I'm an Arab dude, so. <laughs> so so by virtue of being like uh, again of 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 being people that that really complicate the racial binary in Florida, I, I leave it up to us to to self define and, and self define in a way that doesn't need to be built on oppressing somebody else and rejoicing in what makes us unique, right? Yeah. So yeah. you think that as a teacher, uh, because we're talking about it, if we change the way we talk it would help because I mean, I even feel like when we teach history, we, you know, we, we always lump some people into like, you're either white or black. And when you start really looking into it, you also see that we had many people, you know what I mean? Like especially, I don't want to just say with Florida, but the United States, we were built as immigrants, this country, Mm -hmm immigrants, Mm -hmm. you know, immigrants from the Caribbean, South America, 
you know, South Africa, Africa, you know, Asia, you know, we all took part. Do you think if we start changing the conversation, even in schools, uh, the way you're doing it at the museum just would help make it a little bit easier to have these conversations and not make everybody feel like they need to be in a box. Like mm -hmm. mission, you can define yourself. Absolutely. I think that's, that's where it starts. And I, I don't put it above students to be able to grapple or grasp with that. Um, I think that I like nail on the head, right? It, it needs to be a sea change from like the ground up. I think in the way that we discuss the formation of this country and and, and the way that we talk about it openly and honestly, and also in, in providing space for like those other narratives, right? Um, and centralizing people in them. Because when you, when you talk about history and you talk about these things from 35,000 feet, there's a lot of, um, it's called like the violence of abstraction. Yes. That there's a lot of, there's a, you, you, you paper over and you cover over a lot of things that could be very like important things when you reduce everything to just numbers and just these big, large categories. So it's about finding like, what are the individual stories that you can tell that, that I think sort of like punk the system? It's like, mm, not quite. That doesn't fit this, this mold that, we, that we're used to doing. Um, so... So yeah, no, I, I think um, like my research was like, one of the books that I read um, in grad school was about Ellis Island in particular. And like, you know, this monument to immigration and, and, uh, and it's, and also I went, I'm a product of New York City public schools. So that's like a big part of that. Um, yeah. That sort of a curriculum. But I'm like, what if everybody had like a monument? What if not just people that came from boats in Europe like you know had something to look to like this is how i came here and it was in this way and 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 it happened and and then everyone could sort of go from there and and those monuments are like few and far between so think about not only in the classroom but also like what are the spaces and the places that we as a society choose to memorialize and choose the, and then and then reproduce a particular narrative right so it's yes in schools but also like I call it like, you know, like society furniture, <laughs> like the museums and the monuments and the stuff we see and the, and the name places that we give streets like that are constant reminders of what, of what we're supposed to know. And I think that that's sort of, we're getting there. We're sort of, we're on our way. But Fantastic. I have another question. Mm -hmm. This one just popped into my head. Um, <laughs> You know, because you are Dominican. You also, like you said, you self-identify brown, you know. Uh, and Works I, for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you ever, especially being not only a teacher, but now working in a museum, and, you know, let's say we've always talked, people talk about Van Gogh or anything. Have you, and you spoke about it earlier, bringing more of the community, but have you ever thought to say, let me... I want to do a showing or a, a thing about a Dominican artist or a black artist. Like, have you ever been like even more for because you're Dominican saying my people or my person that I maybe influenced me or that I got to see in DR, they don't get to see it out here. Mm -hmm. Have you done that? Are you, you know what I mean? Like thinking about it, like. That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> Now, the people that do that in the museum are curators. Yes. Right? Curatorial gets to decide what comes in the museum. And 
by virtue of working in a museum, I have, there's a proximity to them that I have. So I will, I'm going to shout out a coworker of mine. Her name is Naomi Guerrero. She's Dominican. <laughs> and she's, she's, she's in our curatorial department. And um, so another Caribbean um, curator, Marielena Ortiz, um, also, I think, I think she's Puerto Rican. Um, uh, good people, so good people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we, so thankfully, like as much as I want to like do that, and and I'll get into that later. Like, our museum is already doing that, right? Like we ha- we have a show right now called um, on the other side of now, and it's about Caribbean futurism and like the C- Caribbean artists sort of defining what it means to be Caribbean. Um, in a contemporary and in a futuristic sense. And it's a really awesome show. Um, and I was like, this is dope. Like, I, I'm, I'm relieved of that. I feel like if I worked in another museum, I'd be like, where's so-and-so? And why can't we see this? And why I'm just like, they're doing it. So, I mean, I will say this. I have a, um, this is a, I, I can re- revisit this later, but <laughs> one of my cousins is a contemporary Dominican artist. She exhibits all over the country and around the world. Name, nombre. Her name is Joydi Minaya. Otra vez. Joydi. Oh, yo no te, yo no te. <laughs> Joydi Minaya is her name. I can give you her info and stuff. She actually just got a, um, a, like a, like a, a prize to install public art here in the city of Miami. Conchole, fíjate eso. So, I was like, Jody, when are you going to be in the museum? She's like, espérate, so bien, so bien. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, like, we, I have, like, there's, there's artwork by Dominicans on view right now. So I'm happily going to leave that in the hands of you. Now, if I worked in a different museum, I might have, you know, thoughts on this. Like, I think more <laughs> elaborate thoughts on this. But right now, like, I got to give a big ups to, to Pam because... They're doing exactly that. <laughs> and that's great. I mean, I think what's also great when we're in these spaces to also know that we have allies and other people so that we're not forced to have to carry the entire burden of doing everything at every single moment in time, right? And so I think if you can feel like you've got colleagues and friends and stuff like that who you know, like, even if, like, you know, you take a nap one day, you're out of time. Like, it doesn't mean, like, this effort doesn't, you know, doesn't stop, right? I mean, I think that, mm-hmm. that has to be, that has to also feel good for your own kind of, like, you know, mental well-being, you know, and, you know that way there. Absolutely. So, but this now, we have to get into the really important part, the really deep part of the conversation okay. here. Mira, mira. Okay, this is what people want to know. Mira, necesito estar ready. You ready? So this is our, this is our rapid fire part of the show. It's called oh. our tres golpes. Uno, dos, tres, golpes. Uno, dos, tres, golpes. Uh-oh. Right? So, <laughs> don't worry. It's okay. You'll be okay. First question. Merengue or bachata? Merengue. I'm sorry. <laughs> Merengue. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, segundo, segundo. Totones o maduro? Totones. <laughs> all day, every day. All day, every day. All day, every day. Yeah. All day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> the toughest one. This is the toughest one. So this is a tough one. Yourself. Okay. Country Club or Mori Soñando? Oh, that one's hard. 
Okay, which country club? Oh, good question. No one's asked that. Because they are not all created equal. Explain a little bit more. They can un poco. They can un poco. Because merengue, like, it's delicious. Like, it's it's like cream soda. It's it's perfect. Okay, you know what? I'm going to change. I'm going to pick my presidente. Ah, see, see, this was the second. This is the the backup was presidente o burugal. Oh, burugal. See, we're always prepared here. We're always prepared here for the backup. <laughs> okay, but to your original question, I'm gonna go with with country club, but merengue specifically. Merengue specifically, I can I can appreciate yeah. that. I can appreciate that. No, no, no. That. You have the right to say, look, not every country club, everyone. <laughs> no, that that's a distinction. Mira, ese sí es dominicano sabiendo. Look, that that there's a third way always in in these things, you know. <laughs> Finding a way, the loophole. The mm-hmm. loophole, mira, no, so that, that's why we're, we're, you know, we're street, we're street lawyers, because we're always finding the loophole, you know, like. <laughs> I mean, Darwin, it's been, it's been, look, it's been real, real great um, having you here. I mean, I think you're doing a really important work. Honestly, I think anyone who's working with our youth and working with kids and really trying to, like, push against the narrative um, that exists in the world is is doing God's work, is doing saintly work. So I, I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, me and Darwin share a history together. We, we, you know, we grew up in the Heights, you know, we went through the same program, Prep for Prep, together. We, uh, you know, we were in public schools, we were in private schools, we did a bunch of things. And so um, it really, you know, it, it, it's, it makes me feel better that, that in, in my adopted city of Miami, that we've got people like you um, on the ground really doing, thank doing you, thank good you. work, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, I guess in terms of last thoughts, questions, things like that, um, I guess the one question I would like to say is like, you know, what's the one thing that maybe your students might be surprised to know about you? Um, or put another way, one thing that you would want like your students to, to definitely know about you if they, if they have to, if you have to leave them with something, you know? Mm, I would say this. I think that I, my success as an educator comes from the fact that I, I level with my students. I'm like, I'm human, right? I don't know everything. I make mistakes. You know, like, I think that humanizing myself um, is something that they're so not used to, to seeing. They think of teachers as these, like, automatons and stuff. So when my kids would see me at, like, the, at, at Walgreens or at the supermarket, like, you know, like, I was in their neighborhood. I became ever more a three-dimensional character. Um, character to them as opposed to just this like flat person that just they interact with in the classroom um so it's just like it's okay to be human it's okay to show a little bit of vulnerability because i i think that's a strength personally um to, to say that you don't have all the answers and to let the kid be like do you know the answer maybe you could educate me and that's always tell the kids and it's just like the for me the the joy is when you become the teacher so um i think that the that we, we do damage to ourselves trying to be perfect all the time. Um, so it's, it's okay to not have all the answers and not have it all figured out. And, and I think that uh, it's gotten me where I am so far. So it'd be that. Nice. Yeah. But I'm, well, look. I'm just letting you know. Perfecta. Perfecta. <laughs>
<laughs> well, the perfection, the perfectionism of Dominican women is another panel, but uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that, I suppose, at, a, at another point in time. But uh, I'm sure, Venus, you'll be leading that conversation. That one. <laughs> I, that, well, look, actually, we were, we were actually thinking about assembling our moms for a thing. So, so definitely a panel on, you know, with Dominican moms, about Dominican moms is definitely, definitely forthcoming. Um, Darwin, look, always a pleasure. We want to invite you uh, always back. You know, this is if you've got stuff that especially that Pam uh, or you guys are, are promoting her, definitely feel free to, to, you know, drop on by again and let us know. Um, you know, that's what we, you, know that's you were talking about when does it end? Because you said it started. When does it end? Because there's always an end period. When does it, uh, if people wanted to see it? Uh, oh, for the Caribbean show. I think yeah. it's going to run for at least the next uh, through at least January. Okay. Um, most of the exhibits at the museum run for a minimum of like three to four months, sometimes up to six months. But that's why I tell the kids, I'm like, every time you come here, you're going to see something different. So, yeah. Fantastic. So, mi gente, que lo que, go to the PAM, but lo, the artists, go see what's going on and, and say hi to Darwin. I'm here all the time. Thank you, mi gente, for tuning in. And remember, as we always say here, as long as there's bonchincha to tell and Dominicans to profile, que lo que will always be here. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>